Redick forcing a three-pointer short. Rebound to Giannis. Bucks turn and run. Ahead to Hill. To the rim. Layup good. Bucks take the lead. 121-119. George Hill to the rescue. Way back. Get up. Get out of here. Go. Rainbows high and deep. Touchdown, Wisconsin. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. So last night... The Bucks beat the 76ers, clinching the number one record not only in the East, not the number one seed in only the East, but in the entire NBA, meaning they will finish the regular season guaranteed with the best record in the NBA, meaning they will have home court advantage not only throughout the entire playoffs through the Eastern Conference, right, but should they make the finals, they'll have home court advantage there too. Now, that's incredibly impressive, and especially given what the Bucks have gone through the last 10 years, it hasn't always been great, right? I, I I was thinking last night, six years ago, at the lowest point for the Milwaukee Bucks, they were 15 and 67, and they appeared to not have a direction whatsoever. They seemed like the the locked and loaded candidate to be moved to Seattle when the time when the opportunity came. This year alone, so far, they have won 27 games on the road nearly doubling their win total from just six years ago. It's pretty crazy to comprehend, pretty crazy to think, just with the win last night, what the Bucks accomplished this regular season. They won 128-122. They beat the Philadelphia 76ers. And all of that being said, all of the accomplishments with the seeding, with the record, especially given the struggles that they have gone through just years before this year, that wasn't the most impressive part of last night. I want to talk about Giannis Antetokounmpo today, not because I want to, which I do, and not because I'm sure you want to as well. We need to. It, it would be irresponsible <laughs> to not talk about Giannis Antetokounmpo today. This is the Wisco Sports Show, presented by Played Against Sports. You're listening to WK2I. I'm your host, Grant Bills. I hope you're having an awesome Friday. And if you're a Bucks fan, it would be pretty hard to be having a rough day right now. Like I said, the Bucks won last night, and I'm going to be real. I'm going to be 100% real. I didn't think there was a good outcome for the Bucks possible last night. I was worried because the Bucks were going in as healthy as they have been. Chris Middleton has been dinged up and Giannis has had the ankle and, and obviously they have their host of, of players who right now are, are injured and, and ready to come back here at some point. We'll talk about that later. The Bucks were going in last night. They were playing a Philadelphia team on the road near the end of the regular season and I thought there were only two outcomes, neither of which were great for the Milwaukee Bucks, specifically regarding the perception of the Bucks and the belief or lack thereof, in the Bucks by everybody else. Not just Bucks fans. National media, NBA fans around the country, national publications, that sort of thing. Because as much as we talk about it, we don't care what the national media says, or we don't care what national publications write, or what other fans say. That's kind of why we're here, right? That's kind of what sports is about. When your team's doing great, you want that team to be recognized. Not only by the fans of that team, but by everyone for the great things that they're doing. I didn't think there was a good outcome for the Bucks last night, because either the Bucks win... And everybody reacts by saying, the Bucks are just trying way harder than everyone else. They're running themselves into the ground, trying to lock down the best record in the NBA. They're going to beat themselves up, injure themselves in the process. They're getting less healthy instead of healthier, which is what you want, obviously, going into the playoffs. 
And when the playoffs rolls around, the Sixers will be fine. The Celtics will be fine. The Raptors will be fine. The Bucks are just trying harder. They're sweaty, right? They're being a try-hard team right now. That was one result. The other result would be the Bucks losing and everybody saying, well, here we are, come playoff time, and, and what is Milwaukee doing? What is Coach Budenholzer doing? They're faltering. Because their style of play isn't conducive to when the game slows down, when there's more superstars on the court, which with Philadelphia is a great example. I know they were without Jimmy Butler last night. I don't think that's incredibly pertinent. We'll get to that. I didn't think there was a great outcome for the Bucks last night. Whether they win or whether they lost, I, I, I didn't think the reaction was going to be great, fair or not. Well, the Bucks won in such a great fashion, in such an impressive fashion, that the narrative wasn't about last night's result. It wasn't about the Bucks beating the Sixers or the Sixers losing at home and melting down with two uh, turnovers in the final two minutes of last night's game and, and having the Bucks snatch the, the win away. That's not what it was about because the entire conversation was based, is based, and should be based around number 34, Giannis Antetokounmpo, who had 45 points last night. Now, the point total is impressive in and of itself. The way he scored those points, how he filled up the rest of the stat sheet, specifically when he filled up the rest of the stat sheet, was possibly much more important. And last night and this morning, we have some national talking heads talking about Giannis, and we're going to hear from a couple of those, specifically Shaq, uh, who was talking last night, who's, who's made news saying that Giannis is better than he is at age 24. And, uh, and a former New York Times writer, former uh, employee at ESPN, now at Fox, in Chris Broussard, who I uh, uh, tend to respect just about as much, if not more, than any other NBA pundit in the league. So we're going to hear from both of them and what they had to say. I, I think the reason that last night's game went differently than I thought, meaning that there was a good outcome for the Bucks, right? I thought if they lost, they would be criticized. If they won, they would be criticized. Well, Giannis played so well that he took all of the discussion. And, oh, you know what? Yeah, the Sixers were without Jimmy Butler, but... The Bucks ended up being without Eric Bledsoe because he was ejected three minutes into the game. So the Bucks were shorthanded themselves, almost leveling the playing field against a 76ers team that was without Jimmy Butler. I don't think Jimmy Butler is going to be the make or break point for the Sixers in the playoffs. But one thing that you have to admit about Jimmy Butler is he can close. He can get really tough and hit really tough buckets in the final minute or two. When the clock's running down, when you got to have it, Jimmy Butler's been that guy. And we've seen that in the past, and we have we saw that at the Pfizer Forum just a couple of Sundays ago when the Sixers were there, right? The Sixers probably could have used Jimmy Butler yesterday. But let's be real, I think Eric Bledsoe was a bigger loss, given the circumstances, to Milwaukee than Jimmy Butler without the Sixers. The Sixers still had Ben Simmons. They still had Joel Embiid and J.J. Redick and Tobias Harris and Mike Scott, who played out of his ever-loving mind last night. He had 22 points. It's six three-pointers, six of eight. Mike Scott, who? Yeah, exactly. The Bucks were without Eric Bledsoe, but they were also without Malcolm Brogdon, which means they were down their, their two best point guards on the team. When injuries start clumping up at a position, and when losses start clumping up at a certain position, those losses mean a little bit more. Those hurt a little bit more. The, the Sixers have enough star power without Jimmy Butler. You're out of point guards? You're, you're out of point guards. There's nothing you can do there. It's not like you can play Brooke Lopez at the one. There's really not a great solution. So I think the Bucks were shorthanded, obviously, last night without Eric Bledsoe. But I thought losing Eric Bledsoe put them at a much larger disadvantage that the Sixers were in without Jimmy Butler, as good of a closer as I think that he is. Now, Joel Embiid was fantastic last night as well. And, and as soft as he is, and when I say soft, I mean willing to flop and willing to act for a call. When you're that huge, when you, when you claim yourself to be unstoppable... And unguardable. Man, play with some attitude. Play pissed off. Play like you're out there to injure everyone around you because you can. 
Don't let your 300-pound body flop to the floor like a fish every couple of minutes because I feel like that's what we're watching. Now, regardless of all that, that's personal information. Joel Embiid was tremendous. 34, 34, 13, and 13 last night. It just wasn't enough. J.J. Redick had 29. My God, the Sixers shot the ball so well last night. And that's maybe what makes this even more impressive. But like I said, the discussion today wasn't about the Bucks or the Sixers or last night's result. It was about Giannis Antetokounmpo and the havoc that he is wreaking on the NBA right now. Now, there's a couple of big takeaways last night. Number one being that the fact that the Bucks were able to win, minus Eric Bledsoe and also minus a whole cast of other characters that were injured, is impressive, but the good news for the Bucks and a big takeaway after last night is after last night, the Bucks are obviously going to get Eric Bledsoe back, but they're also set to get back Nikola Mirotic, Tony Snell, Pau Gasol, and at some point Malcolm Brogdon. Woo! Bucks got it done last night anyways. Now, there were a couple of takeaways now all regarding Giannis. That's what I want to talk about, and I want to hear from you. Join in on the conversation uh, with me at 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talk and text line. You can find me there. Also on Twitter, at KeystrokerGrant and at WKTY. Either one will get the trick done. I want to talk about Giannis because last fall, I felt obligated that we had to talk about Christian Yelich because when was the last time that Milwaukee has seen a player like Christian Yelich, at least play for a stretch like last year. Maybe Ryan Braun's MVP year. Well, take that out of the equation. What, go back to the 80s? You don't get players like this very often. The Lakers, the Celtics, the Dodgers, the Yankees, it's a little bit different. When was the last time Milwaukee had a player like Giannis Antetokounmpo? I hit 71 with Lou Alcindor. And then, of course, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar when, when he changed his name. Ray Allen was nice. Michael Redd was nice. When was the last time the Bucks actually had a player this damn good? We're sitting here on April 5th, and I'm about to tell you exactly how I feel about this MVP race. Spoiler alert, Giannis should win it, especially after last night. We need to talk about him, so we're going to. We're going to hear reaction uh, from a couple of the talking heads, like I said. Uh, brief, I'm not going to play you uh, minutes and minutes and minutes of other people. That's not why you're here. You're, talk to a, you're here to talk Wisconsin sports with me, so let's do that. The Wisco Sports Show will return in a minute, uh, sponsored, of course, by Played Against Sports. You're listening to WKTY. The Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY, presented by Play It Again Sports. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in, hanging out. Hope you're having a good night. We're talking Milwaukee Bucks, obviously. Last night, they beat the Philadelphia 76ers, really kind of stealing that game at the end. Now, the Bucks had led in bunches, and they had led for certain durations throughout the first, the second, the third quarter. But for most of the fourth, which is, let's be real, as an NBA fan, where you really start to get dialed in. First quarter, get up, go to the bathroom. Second quarter, maybe go make a snack. Third quarter, I got to go let the dog out. Got to grab something for my car. Fourth quarter, you're, you're, you're buckled in, right? You're watching with a little bit more detail. That's not being a lazy fan. That's just, that's just knowing the circumstances uh, of how an, a regular season NBA game works. You settle down in the fourth quarter. The Bucks really didn't do a whole lot of leading. Uh, I didn't actually sit down and do the math of exactly how long they led and how long they trailed. I don't really care. Basically, coming from behind in the final couple of minutes and then running away uh, and going on a little mini run to, 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 to finally close the game at the end. They won 128 to 122, including scoring 46 fourth quarter points. To put that into perspective, uh, the quarters from Milwaukee last night went 30, 26, 26, 46. Yeah, that'll make a difference. Big fourth quarter last night. We're obviously talking about the Bucks. We are obviously talking about how they clinched the number one seed, not only in the East, but in the entire NBA. So they're going to have home court advantage through any playoff series that they end up in, including the NBA Finals, no matter who they're playing, whether it's Golden State, whether it's OKC, whether it's Sacramento, won't matter. 
And that goes, obviously, for every Eastern Conference team as well. Regardless of the outcome last night, the, the conversation and, and the biggest uh, point of emphasis has been Giannis Antetokounmpo. Like I told you, he had 45 last night. It wasn't about how many points he scored. It was more about how he scored them. Obviously, when you score 45, you're going to draw headlines. You're going to draw conversation. But I don't even know if this was your average 45. Last night, Giannis scored in in the most opportune times. He found his assists in the most opportune times and even some of his blocks as well. So let's get into that. 608-796-2558 is the five-star telecom talking text line. And you can join me there if you want to talk Milwaukee Bucks. You want to talk Giannis Antetokounmpo. My biggest takeaway from last night, of which I had two, one of which is much bigger than the other, is Giannis Antetokounmpo as your MVP. It's done. I don't remember the moment uh, during the Brewer season last fall when I said Christian Yelich is your MVP. Because the, the, the Yelich-Baez race and the Harden-Antetokounmpo race, are they're actually quite similar to... We thought earlier on in the season that it was runaway for Harden, and we thought it was going to be a runaway for Baez. And, and then... And then Harden gets hot, right? And then Yelich gets hot, and it gets very close. And then at the end, we're, we're kind of just sitting there waiting. We're waiting for the moment where we can say, okay, after that performance, XYZ is the MVP. After last night's game, uh, Joe Schmo is the MVP, right? We're waiting for that moment. I don't remember where that was for Christian Yelich over Javier Baez. I wish I could remember. I wish I would have written it down. Although I didn't really expect that we'd be talking about two MVP candidates, two leading MVP candidates in the same city in the same calendar year. So here we are. Next time, maybe I'll prepare a little bit better. Last night was the moment for Giannis. And up until last night, I bet most MVP voters you would ask would say, yeah, my vote's going to Giannis, barring anything large at the end. I I think it would have been close, but... I think the majority, and the odds would tell you as such, most people were leaning towards Giannis. Last night was just about as an impressive performance as you can get. Giannis, I think, cemented his MVP last night. Whether it ends up being close or not, I think last night is going to be the game that sticks in people's minds. Without Eric Bledsoe, without Malcolm Brogdon, without either of his point guards, and both of which are having, by the way, really, really, really good seasons, before Brogdon got hurt, obviously, and and Eric Bledsoe's having a career year, Without his two biggest ball handlers, his two biggest distributors of the basketball, he was able to put up 45, 13, 6, and 5 blocks as well. He did it all without his two point guards, his two distributors, two good spot-up shooters who spaced the floor. Bledsoe's obviously tremendous in transition. He's going to take, um, uh, take some attention away from Giannis, giving him space, uh, of which he does not need very, very much. He did it without his two point guards. Now, the stat line, like I said, 45 points, 5 blocks, 6 assists, 13 rebounds. Oh, and by the way, 0 turnovers. I forgot to mention that. He also hit 3 of his 7 3-point attempts. 16 of 21 from the free throw line, which is really, really good. Maybe not for Steph Curry. Maybe not for Malcolm Brogdon. But for Giannis and, and for your majority of forwards in the league, that's tremendous. I said it wasn't just about the statistics that he racked up, mostly points. It is about when and where and how they happened. So let me take you to, obviously, the most important quarter in the game, the fourth quarter. Like I said, when you watch an NBA game, you might be doing something during the first. You might uh, step out to, to call and order a pizza in the second quarter. Maybe the third quarter comes around. you got to take the dog out uh, so, that, so he can go to the bathroom real quick. But you know, come the fourth quarter, you're going to be sitting down, especially for that final eight, nine minutes, because that's when the players start to really, well, start trying. Let's be real, because 82 games in a regular season... Some games mean more than others. Last night, for Giannis, for Embiid, for everyone involved, this game felt that it meaned a little bit more. 
Fourth quarter last night, Giannis played nine and a half minutes. He had 11 of his 45 points. He had five of his six assists in the fourth quarter. Zero turnovers, like I said. He had a block as well. He racked up a lot of points in the fourth. He had 11. But what was more important is, and if you watched the fourth quarter last night, he was dishing. He was dishing. And that was including another tremendous pass to Sterling Brown underneath that Joel Embiid just made a really good play and blocked. That could have been six assists in the fourth quarter, seven total. That'll happen. I'm just trying to put it into perspective. I'm not saying that Giannis got screwed out of an assist. Blocks happen all the time. Giannis played his best ball, his cleanest basketball when it mattered. Now, it was all clean. He didn't have any turnovers. But 11 points in the fourth, five assists in the fourth, four total rebounds, and a block, which that block was on Joel Embiid, of which he had four last night, the so-called most unstoppable player in the NBA. I think Giannis might have taken exception to that last night blocking him four times, including once to kind of seal the deal and help the Bucks ultimately cement this win. 11 fourth quarter points. It wasn't just about his 45 or his 13 or his six or his five blocks. It was about when and where they happened. I tweeted last night. You can follow me at Keystroker Grant. I tweeted last night. Giannis is dishing. He was dishing in the fourth, in transition, in the half court set, finding George Hill in transition, finding Sterling Brown in transition, including that other pass, like I said, to Sterling Brown underneath the basket, which was a great wraparound pass in a very congested paint at the time around Joel Embiid, and it just got blocked. It was a good play. That could have been another assist. Giannis was dishing. He was seeing the floor very well last night. I was anytime you have 40, 45 points, you can probably make the case that that player is seeing the floor well. But just some of the passes that Giannis was having, especially in that fourth quarter, he, he appeared to be dialed in. He appeared to be ready to go. Now, when you're making Giannis's MVP case, last night goes in the goes in the basket, right? It goes in the on the resume, 45, 13, 6, and 5 on the road without either of your point guards against the Sixers, who have been just a nasty rivalry for the Bucks. That goes on the resume. We we don't talk about Giannis's defense a whole lot because I think it's just become second nature. I was doing some digging today. Let me put something into perspective for you. And this is ultimately, especially when comparing Antetokounmpo to James Harden, this might be what does it. The Milwaukee Bucks, you talk about defense. They're the number one defensive rating team in the league. They have a defensive rating, a net rating of 104.5, which is almost two solid points better than the next team, which is the Toronto Raptors. 104.5. For a defensive rating. Now that, take it for what it's worth. They're the best in that metric, in that category. The 104.5, if you don't understand what that means, I really don't, I'll be real. (laughs) It's number one. And it's number one by a couple of points. Giannis is the best defender on that team. We've heard that Giannis has an opportunity, a a chance to do something that hasn't been done since Jordan. And that's when MVP and defensive player of the year. And you can make a really good case for it. Milwaukee is the number one defensive rated team in the league with a 104.5. And you look at Giannis's usage splits, which means of his team's rebounds, of his team's pa- uh, assists, of his team's points, what's Giannis's percentage, right? Well, let's just look at the defensive stats. Defensive rebounding. You know, the rebounds that actually flip defense to offense. The, the transition board, right? The, the defensive rebound helps you conclude a defensive possession, seal a defensive possession, and get back on offense. Giannis attributes 37.5% of defensive rebounds to his team's overall total. So every defensive rebound that the Bucks have had, take 37.5% of those, they belong to Giannis. Blocks, another obviously huge defensive metric. Blocking shots, and then you leave with a block shot as well. You leave a little bit of a reminder in that player's head where you say, don't come in here again because you know what happened last time. That's something that affects the game on the defensive end. Giannis accounts for 40.8% 
of Milwaukee's blocks and almost 33% of their steals. Best defensive team, best defensive player. That might ultimately be the straw that breaks the MVP camel's back, especially in comparison to James Harden because James Harden is not known for his defense. Yeah, his offense is tremendous. It's not leagues better than Giannis, but it's better than Giannis, clearly. But Giannis is going to run away with the defensive side of the ball. And that might be, like I said, the straw that ends up breaking the camel's back. Oh, by the way, if you watched the Sixers game last night, Ben Simmons cannot defend Giannis. Giannis has, he doesn't have zero respect for Ben Simmons. He has a negative amount of respect. (laughs) On the spectrum of respect for Ben Simmons, it it would be off the screen. Bullying Ben Simmons, who only had six points last night and is looking more like a liability than an actual help to the Sixers team at this point. Giannis was tremendous last night, not just with the stats that he racked up, which were great, and those speak for themselves, but if you look deeper, it becomes even more impressive. That was my number one takeaway. Giannis cemented his MVP case last night. My number two takeaway, which is much smaller, uh, which is a, a tertiary point and maybe a feel-good story uh, and, and something to sink your teeth into as we move into the playoffs, Sterling Brown has been so much fun to watch, and he's been great for this Bucks team. He has turned into, in the last couple of weeks, with Brogdon being out and then with Miritich being out and all the injuries, Tony Snell... He has gone from a regular nice season story and a nice depth piece for fans to enjoy watching in blowout games or in limited minutes to a player who has gained some confidence to attack. You saw Sterling Brown on a breakaway transition dunk last night. Just just can one in the closing minutes. And as a fan, you don't necessarily like the idea of Sterling Brown taking a shot, even if it is a driving shot to the paint, without Giannis getting a touch. Sterling Brown has become confident. He's gone from a 3 and D player to a piece that can fit alongside Giannis and Middleton and Lopez and Bledsoe on the offensive end. He added 12 points last night, and he was plus 10 in his plus-minus column. He's a good player. Sterling Brown and DJ Wilson, who have enjoyed extended minutes because of all these injuries, if they are pressed into duty in the playoffs, and we don't know how big of a rotation the Bucs are going to put into place, Sterling Brown and DJ Wilson, especially Sterling Brown these last couple of weeks, just given his position, have gained a lot of confidence. Not just as a role player when they come on, but guys who have been able to create. That Atlanta game last week is a great example from Sunday of how Sterling Brown is not really afraid to go and attack. To go and try to get his. And the Bucks are going to need that in the playoffs, especially if Malcolm Brogdon returns any slower than they expect, which is already going to be too long, which could be into the second round, right? Giannis cementing his MVP case last night, in my opinion, and in others as well. Also, Sterling Brown, DJ Wilson, some of those role players who've been pressed into extended minutes, really impressive and, and might be valuable come playoff time, depending on how big of a rotation the Bucks want to put into use. Those were my two biggest takeaways. What about everyone else? Some of the national media talking heads, somebody, let's say, on the network who covered the game last night, which was TNT, specifically Shaquille O'Neal, one of the most respected NBA analysts and, and, and writers in the league, Uh, And in the country, and Chris Broussard talked about him this morning. Let's hear from those two and get their perspective from maybe a a larger picture, from a more outsider picture, from a national perspective. We'll hear from that and continue the Bucks conversation coming up next. You're listening to the Wisco Sports Show, brought to you by Played Against Sports, right here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY, presented by Played Against Sports. I'm your host, Grant Bills. You can always find the show 5 to 6 every night on WKTY, 96.7 FM, 580 AM, or streaming live on our website, WKTYsports.com, and on our mobile app as well. We're talking bucks. 
More specifically, we're talking about Giannis Antetokounmpo. And Donatkumpo. Uh, yes, Giannis Antetokounmpo and his MVP case and his impressive MVP performance last night. 45 points, 13 rebounds, 6 assists, and 5 blocks. 11 of those points coming in the fourth quarter. Five of those assists coming in the fourth quarter and a block as well. No turnovers in any of the quarters last night for Giannis. And I'm saying he cemented his MVP case last night. I I still think it's going to end up being close. Harden's going to make a case because I think he's still got some BS 60-point performance left in him. But I think last night, for most people, uh, cemented Giannis Antetokounmpo as the MVP. Now, as Bucks fans, we have been hoping for that. We have been maybe trying to argue for that for weeks and for months now. In the national media, things have been a little bit differently. I think Harden gets a lot of pub, and rightfully so, and Giannis does as well. It's obviously easier to talk about an athlete in Houston than one in Milwaukee. And we had an opportunity last night, because it was a nationally televised game on TNT, and it was against a huge opponent in the Sixers, who the Bucks have started to cook up a little interesting rivalry with the Sixers that I am fascinated by, and it's personal as well, especially Giannis calling Ben Simmons and effing baby uh, a couple of Sundays ago at, at the Pfizer Forum, and then again last night, Eric Bledsoe throwing a ball at Embiid, getting injected, and Giannis just uh, really continuing to bully Ben Simmons on a basketball court. It's not a good look for <laughs> for, for the sophomore Ben Simmons, but I digress. Let's let's hear uh, from what some of the actual big personalities said. I want to start with Shaq. I, I, was, I wanted to tune in and hear what Shaq had to say last night, because if you remember about a week ago, About a week and a half ago, Shaquille O'Neal went on a podcast and he said definitively, Giannis is better at age 24 than I was at age 24. An awkward, odd thing to admit as a former player that you're saying this guy is better than I was. This guy is better at this. He he does more. He's winning more than I did. It's not something, especially with confident NBA players like Michael Jordan, like Kobe, and like Shaq. I don't think we lump him into that group enough. Shaq saying Giannis is better than I was at age 24. And, ult- and of course, the, the, just the uproar coming from the rest of the national media. I was watching First Take a couple of days ago. Stephen A. Smith, b- obviously beside himself, uh, and talking out of his rear end without any statistics, without anything to back it up, speaking emotionally and in an entertaining fashion, as is his job. I'm not Stephen A. Smith, so I have to do a little bit of research. I have to actually dig uh, to compare Giannis and Shaq. It wasn't hard, and what you would find if you take five minutes to try to compare Shaq and Giannis is lots of graphics, lots of charts, because a lot of NBA sources and NBA accounts are working on this exact comparison right now. At age 24, stats per game, so per game stats, Giannis is averaging 27.4 points. Shaq averaged 26.2 at age 24. Advantage Giannis. Now, rebounds are dead even, 12 and a half apiece. Assists are Giannis by a large margin. He is 5.9, almost 6. Shaq is barely over 1 at 3.1. Blocks per game, Shaq's got him by 2.9. Giannis is 1.5. Field goal percentage is Giannis by two full points, 55.7 to 57.7. Giannis has the advantage there. And what Shaq actually talked about last night, so I won't talk about it too much, is Giannis does more. He handles the ball. He brings it the ball up, right? He shoots, which is, let's be real, that's not something that Shaq ever really did. Not only from the perimeter, he made three threes last night, although everybody's seemingly ignoring that because we still hear the, when Giannis gets a jump shot, he's going to be unstoppable. Did you watch a damn game last night? He does have a jump shot, as basic as it might be, and he is unstoppable because he single-handedly won the Bucks the game last night. Giannis does more. He is not just a center. He's not just a forward like Shaq was. So let's hear, Shaq actually responded to this last night, and I love the way Shaq speaks because it's very matter-of-factly. 
he comes out and says things, right? Like, like sometimes, for example, I was watching this morning, I was watching First Things First with Chris Carter and Nick Wright, and Chris Carter loves to say, when you think about the Bucks in terms of their scoring, right, what you could really say is, last night the Bucks scored this many points. A lot of NBA, or not just NBA, but sports media, they love to talk around themselves like that. Here's a guy where... When you talk about their offense, when you take a look at their defense, I love Shaq because he just kind of says what he thinks very plainly, and it's very easy to digest. Here he is last night, not only talking about the continued conversation about Shaq versus Giannis at 24, uh, but doubling down on his case, and let's be real, Giannis made him look good last night. You just said it. Uh, by the time he's 30, probably be the best player in the game, probably be one of the best players ever. What I like about it is that he wants it. A lot of guys now are in the league just to be in the league, and you know, I was the type of player that if you asked me who the best player was, I'm going to say myself. That's how you're supposed to play. I like his game. I don't know his, uh, I don't know his position. Candace said he was a point center. And that's kind of why I said he was better than me at the age of 24. Because at 24, I was just doing big man stuff. He's doing guard stuff, playing defense on the perimeter, switching. So he's actually, he's actually much better uh, than, than I was at 24. Giannis and Shaq is a, is a really good, really accurate comparison because you can find a lot of players at age 24. Well, not a lot, but a handful of players who are scoring the way Giannis is and maybe rebounding the way Giannis is as well. And maybe even getting the assist numbers. It's more so how those statistics are being compiled because when you watch Giannis, he's not shooting step back threes. Right? He's not shooting runners, floaters. He, he hasn't really engineered a new style of play. Maybe like James Harden has, right? Giannis just bullies everyone. He's going to drive right at you, and he's going to can on you right at the paint like we saw last night with Ben Simmons, like we saw two weeks ago against Ben Simmons. He's bullying him. There's nothing Ben Simmons can do, and at times Embiid as well, although Embiid's a much better defender, so it's a little bit more evenly matched. Giannis's length, Giannis's athleticism just allows him to do things that players necessarily can't really stop, and that is probably what Shaq was best known for as well. Just get the hell out of the way because there's nothing you can do. Giannis and Shaq is, I I think, a really good comparison, not just statistics-wise, although their stats are very similar, except for maybe in assists. It's the way that they are compiling their points. Just get the hell out of my way. Two Sundays ago, when we took a bus trip to the Pfizer Forum with a lot of our listeners, and we watched Giannis play against the Cavs, specifically Tristan Thompson, who was matched up with him uh, for portions of the game, Tristan wouldn't even come out to the three-point line. He would stand in the paint, and he'd say, go ahead, shoot it. And Giannis would say, no thanks, and he'd drive at him anyways, and he'd dunk right in his face. You don't see players who get a six-foot cushion around them still driving to the basket and still finishing. That's Shaq territory. That's Giannis territory. They're so physically dominating. They're so physically imposing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do. That's why I think this comparison is really good. Now, Shaq talking about how by the time he's 30, he's going to be the best player in the league, right? Well, I actually tuned into First Things First this morning and heard Chris Broussard, who used to write for the New York Times, used to work for ESPN, now works for Fox Sports 1 and is one of the most respected NBA analysts in the business, talking, it's not Giannis at age 30, it's Giannis right now. Well, Giannis showed us that he is definitely the MVP. And not only that, and I usually don't give this award away or this title away officially oh, here we go. until the okay. playoffs. Because you got to get it done in the postseason. Okay. He's the best player in the world. Period. He did it every single way it could be done last night. He drove to the bucket. He posted up. He hit mid-range shots. He hit three-point shots. He blocked 
The best big man in the league four, four times. times. He led the fast break. He had 11 points in the fourth quarter. He had a late assist. I mean, what else could he do? That's actually a perfect comprehensive look at Giannis's night last night. And why I think he's the MVP, but you could make the case, depending on what you value, that he is also the best player in the NBA. There was nothing the Sixers could do last night. They put Embiid on him. He still managed to score. When Embiid was out, they tried him with players like Ben Simmons, and we know how that has ended, and it is hilarious and wonderful. And I hope that Brett Brown and the Sixers continue to try to match up Ben Simmons with Giannis. But I thought that soundbite from Chris Broussard, and that was from First Things First on Fox Sports 1 this morning, and that's why I want to share it. It was a perfect 35-second summary of exactly how dominant Giannis was last night in all the different ways that he did it, in the crunch time ways that he did it at the end of the game. It was, it was a perfect summary of exactly what we're talking about with Giannis last night against the Sixers. Here's the thing. The one argument that you can make, and once again, it kind of comes down to what you value when you say best player in the league, how much do we factor playoffs into this? Because Giannis has been, maybe outside of James Harden, offensively, the most dominating player in the league this year. And still, you could argue that because of his defense, Giannis is overall the more dominating player. Like Broussard said, blocking the best center in the league, the self-proclaimed most unstoppable player in the league four times last night, including once in the fourth to really help seal the win. Do you Does, does your opinion of Giannis, is it going to change based on what happens in the playoffs? Because the one argument you can make for Shaq is when he was in Orlando, he was winning playoff series with his teams. He was leading his team. Now, I think this is the first year that Giannis actually has a fair shake in terms of a good roster and a good coach, which we talked about to begin the show. Six years ago, the Bucs were a 15-year team. 15-win team, excuse me, not 15-year team. They were a 15-win team. And Giannis was there for that. And it has taken time to acquire talent, the right talent, and pair that talent with the right coach and draft correctly and trade. This year, I think Giannis has got a fair shake. I'm not saying it was unfair last year. But this year, Giannis hasn't made in the shade in terms of a playoff opportunity to go out and dominate. And I really hope that he does. Because right now, we're talking about Giannis, the best player, possibly best player in the NBA playing in Milwaukee. That's not something that I've ever been able to talk about in my lifetime. And probably Bucks fans haven't been able to even contemplate since the early 70s with Lou Alcindor and then, of course, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Like, I... That's uncharted territory for most of us. Now, I'm only 21, but I would imagine most of our listening audience outside of those who were watching and following intently in the 70s, which I'm sure there, there were some, aren't able to say that they've been able to have this conversation ever in their lives. That's why we're here having it. That's why we're here talking about it. I do want to talk about the Brewers today because they have an MVP as well in Christian Yelich. They are leading their division. They are playing very well, although it's early. I want to continue the conversation we had yesterday because it's 7-10 tonight. Uh, they're going to start a, a weekend series with the Cubs who have been reeling. They were off yesterday. Pre-game will start at about 6.30 right here on WK2I, so you don't need to go anywhere. I kind of want to continue what we were talking about yesterday with the Cubs and, and why they worry me regardless of what we have seen so far. I'll give you the lineup, all the details you need to know as well before we say goodbye for the weekend. You're listening to the Wisco Sports Show right here on WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY presented by Play It Again Sports. I'm your host, Grant Bills. I'm excited for night. Kick back, watch the Brewer game, start the weekend. I love that baseball is back. I love that baseball is back so damn much. Even if it is Brewers-Cubs and it's going to be a stressful series, I- I'm looking forward to it. The Cubs lost again last night to Atlanta and almost making my point for me, or 
starting to make my case for me. I guess we won't know until after this Brewers-Cubs series. The Cubs are not playing good baseball right now. We talked about that yesterday, including all of their pitching woes. Uh, Their ERA is the second worst in all of baseball behind only the Diamondbacks. Not only their bullpen, but their starting pitching, their combined uh, ERA. Their whip, walks, hits per innings pitched is over two and is by far the worst in baseball. I was talking to a a, a baseball player friend who plays at UWL earlier today, and I I said, look, I, I understand that two base runners every inning for an average is horrible. What where do you where do you want to see that number? What's the goal for that number? And he says around one or slightly less than one is is obviously great. So it would be like saying a quarterback has a completion percentage of 30 when your goal should be around 60. Right? You want to cut that in half your Chicago Cubs. More than two base runners per inning is obviously horrendous. Whether that's coming through walks or whether that's coming through hits, a lot of them have come through walks. Uh, for the Cubs, we talked about yesterday how all of the plate appearances in opposition to the Cubs this year, against a starting pitcher, against a reliever, doesn't matter, uh, over 40% of those plate appearances have ended in walks, resulted in walks, which is absurd. You can't walk every other batter. You're just not going to win baseball games like that. Well, spoiler alert, the, the Cubs haven't won baseball games. Just looking at yesterday's box score, you Darvish lost yesterday. He went four innings uh, and gave up uh, gave up a bunch of runs. Well, he gave up three runs. I guess, in in four innings, excuse me. Five hits, three earned runs for you, Darvish, yesterday. Four walks, which is, you have that many walks, that's a walk an inning. That's where that average is getting beefed up. His ERA after yesterday, which is earned run average. Now, if you, we hear all ERA all the time, and, and if we do have uh, members who are just getting into the swing of baseball, maybe for the first time, earned run average is basically, well, it is not basically, it's earned runs per nine innings. So if you Darvish after yesterday pitches four innings and gives up three runs, his ERA, or you put that performance and you put it in a scope of nine full innings, a full game, he would have given up just over eight runs, right? Earned runs per nine innings pitched, even if the pitcher didn't go nine innings. Now, Carl Edwards Jr. came in yesterday. I have a Cubs fan who I was talking to earlier today. He just, I, he doesn't know what's going on. He, he can't command his pitches. He did not record an out, gave up two runs, including two walks, which puts his ERA at 45. 45. Carl Edwards Jr. threw 11 pitches. Only three of them were strikes. Tyler Chatwood pitched two innings, gave up a run. He was not horrible compared to everyone else. 36 pitches, 23 of them were strikes, an ERA over nine and a half. Montgomery got shelled. Two innings, three earned runs, and an ERA over 20. That's, that's just, those are just crazy numbers. And part of that is a limited sample size. When you start attributing a, a statistic like ERA to such a small sample size, ERA is supposed to average over nine innings and not over a third of an inning or two innings or one inning. That's where you'll see those numbers balloon in, and that's where we have to take it with a grain of salt. But when Carl Edwards Jr., who last year was one of the Cubs' best receivers, or not receivers, relievers, throwing 11 pitches, not recording an out, giving up two walks, and only throwing three strikes, that's a concern. The ERA, the large ERA numbers, look, if you're getting in and getting effective, even if you are giving up a run or two, the ERA may look bad. That doesn't always tell the full story. I, I saw a quote today from from Craig Council saying this, and, and I thought this was helping make my case, helping extend the conversation that we had yesterday. This is what he said about the Cubs' early season struggles. Adam McCalvey tweeted this out, the Brewers, MLB.com and, uh, and Brewers.com reporter. Said that's a really good team that's in our division that we know is going to be there at the end. I like to put it in... Uh, in perspective, for football fans, we are at halftime of week one. 
Well, they're not even that. They're not even that far. They would be like in what the first quarter of week one, right? We have just played a sliver, just a fingernail of baseball. Now the Cubs have looked bad. Like I said, uh, the struggle to throw strikes has been horrible. They can't throw strikes. Almost half of the batters who stepped in the box against Cubs pitchers this year have walked. You're not going to have a lot of success like that, but we are only five, six games in. I believe the Cubs are six games in. And they will play the Brewers tonight at 7.10. You can hear pregame starts on WK2I at 6.30. I'm worried about this series. You worry about every series because you don't know whether the Brewers are going to win or lose. That's just how fandom is. That's how fans are. But I feel like there's this sentiment from Cubs fans and from Brewers fans alike, obviously they're they're mirroring each other, that the Cubs are about to run into a buzzsaw. That the Brewers are playing really well, the Cubs are playing poorly, and it's going to be a real ugly weekend for Chicago fans. I don't necessarily subscribe to that sentiment. I don't know if I'd necessarily believe that. Because if we look at last year, and really the year before as well, we have a, a substantial sample size to tell us that no matter which direction either one of these teams are trending, when they play each other... Both teams give their best. Both starting pitchers tend to pitch really well. The bullpens tend to pitch pretty well. The offenses, which are limited typically by pretty good pitching, are opportunistic. They've hit with power when they have the opportunity, and they can play small ball when they have to. These two teams playing each other is the biggest reset button in the NL Central. It's unbelievable. Last year at the beginning of the year, the Brewers were playing great. Cubs, not so much. They played each other. What happened? The Brewers were melting down at the end of games. They couldn't get outs. Later on in the year, the Cubs were about to run away with the division. We had sat back. Bill Michaels sat on this very station and is still taking heat for this today, saying the Brewers are out of the division race. They're now only playing for a wild card. And he's never going to live that down. But what happened? The Brewers, when they played, the Cubs had their number. Beat them up, including in game 163. So ignore the trajectories of both of these teams. Because I do believe at the end of this weekend, we are going to be having different conversations about this team. Now, the Cubs could play great, and the Brewers could still win two of three. The Brewers could play great and still lose two of three. But to say that there is a given, because the Cubs are playing so bad and the Brewers are playing so good, that this series has been all but decided. That the Cubs are already down and the Brewers are just coming into it to apply the curb stomp, to apply the kick, the boot, and the ribs, right? I don't I don't believe that. And, and Craig Council does neither, according to what he said. So it'll be a fun weekend of baseball, that's for sure. Brewers-Cubs is always got a little bit of extra juice to it. So enjoy. You can hear all that coverage on WK2I. Tonight's game getting underway at 7.10, pregame at 6.30. Also, a big good luck shout-out to UWL Baseball and Softball. They got doubleheaders tomorrow and Sunday. Bob chiming in on the five-star telecom talk and text line, making sure that we don't forget about them. We'll have a lot to talk about on Monday. This Mike McCarthy thing continues to swirl. Obviously, we have the original article, and now the reaction from all parties continues to trickle in. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk Brewers-Cubs and where we sit with the Bucks and Giannis Antetokounmpo's MVP case as they locked in the one seed and will have home court advantage all throughout the playoffs and the finals should they get there. Have an awesome weekend. I'll be back on Monday at the same time, the same place. I'll talk to you then.